Hello, murder mystery and paranormal fans, and welcome to the sixth and final episode of J.L. Delosier's The Photo Thief. My name's Jess, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. Previously on The Photo Thief. Brendan finds evidence in the stacks that implicates Leland Dolan as the serial killer behind those 80-year-old cold cases. Jim is found floating in the police precinct's pool, and the captain is prepared to pin his death on Brennan if he doesn't drop his investigation, which threatens a sting operation in which she and Jim had been undercover participants. The stress, combined with the grief over his dead daughter's recent birthday, threatens to crack Brennan's rational mind. And as his life unravels, he can't help but wonder, what if Cassie really can talk to the dead? Could she help him talk to his daughter again? Chapter 34 Pete finally called, and his timing couldn't have been better. Brennan had circled the block twice, inspecting the entrance to his apartment's garage for suspicious activity and struggling to quiet his anxiety long enough to enter. Parking garages had not been kind to him lately. When his phone blared Pete's ringtone, a Grateful Dead song, naturally, Brennan whipped the car through the entrance, parked, and vowed to keep Pete on the line until he reached the safety of his apartment. It's about freaking time. Brennan eyed the expanse of crumbling concrete between him and the elevator. Ah, well, I'm on vacation, you know, and I'm trying to lay low. Besides, Lane will get cranky if I introduce work into our island paradise. She's taken a dip in the pool before dinner, so talk fast. Brendan phoned to his ear and hand on his gun, hurried to the elevator. He jabbed the up button, glanced over his shoulder, and lowered his voice. Jim's dead. Pete fell silent. The elevator dinged. Pete, I'm getting into the elevator to my apartment. I'll probably lose you. He stepped inside. Call me back in a minute, okay? The door whooshed shut and the line went dead. No music. In the bleary-eyed haze of a typical morning, he appreciated the lack of sugary pop, or even worse, a bastardization of his favorite classic rock. Tonight, as he stared at his phone's blank screen and prayed for an empty hallway, the silence was smothering. The cables groaned. The elevator, as cold as a meat freezer, shuddered into motion. The floors passed slowly, the burned-out display flickering partial numbers and a shade too faded to qualify as red, but not yet pink. The lift stopped on the seventh floor. Brennan lived on floor 13. The display lights sputtered. The red disappeared. He hugged the inside corner and held his breath, waiting for the doors to move. They opened to an empty hall and paused. And paused. And paused. They finally slid shut and he sagged against the cold steel wall. The display sparked to life. The elevator lurched upward. Eight. Nine. By the time it reached floor 13, his head was ready to explode. He peeked into the hall. Empty. The window at the far end gaped open. Easy passage for the bone-chilling wind. Screw it. Let somebody else close it for a change. Clutching his phone, he dashed into his apartment and slammed the door. His phone rang and he nearly stabbed his finger through the screen to answer it. Pete, you have no idea how happy I am to hear your voice. It's been a rough week. 
Not as rough as Jim's, from the sound of it. What happened? He drowned in the precinct pool. Oy vey. Pete paused, and Brandon imagined the gears in his coroner friend's brain beginning to turn. Accidentally or on purpose? Depends on who you ask. When he'd first texted Pete, Brennan intended to tell him everything. The investigation by internal affairs, how they were being set up, everything. But that was before his little heart-to-heart -heart with Captain Mattern in the parking lot. Now what did it matter? Pete had already bowed out. The captain made it explicitly clear that what happened next depended entirely on how Brennan handled the next few days. Pete was counting on him to do the right thing. Brennan couldn't let him down. Pete's voice was low, solemn. I never meant for this to happen. Jim had issues, but he didn't deserve to die. I should never have reported my suspicions. I did my own business. Processing the dead is your business, Pete. You did the right thing. Trust me, none of this is your fault. I just thought you'd want to know. Plus, it's good to hear your voice. You have had a tough week. You're getting sappy. You don't know the half of it. Look, Dan... Elaine and I talked this morning about how much we love it here. We debated buying a condo or a small cottage and renting it out until we're able to comfortably retire. But this, this situation has added incentive to make a move and do it now. I could work a few more years here in Honolulu, pay off the house, then ease onto the beach when I'm ready. I don't feel safe in Philly anymore. My autopsy reports have put a lot of vicious people behind bars throughout the years, and I'd guess about half of them are eligible for parole by now. That's because you're good at your job. Brennan, his adrenaline spent, slumped on the sofa. I can't blame you, Pete. I'm thinking of making a move myself, starting over somewhere new. Maybe Julia had the right idea when she returned to Florida. Make sure that condo comes with a spare bedroom just in case. My door is always open for you, Dan, you know that. Speaking of the missus, here she comes. I gotta run. Talk to you soon. Pete hung up before Brennan could say goodbye. I certainly hope so, Pete. He stared at the blank phone. I hope so. He tossed his new cell on the coffee table. A wave of fatigue made his shoulders sag, and he debated sleeping on the lumpy old couch overnight. His back and hips would scream at him in the morning. Besides, he had things to do. He hadn't worked an all-nighter in a long time, but if tomorrow went as planned, this could be his last one ever. Step one, get off the damned couch. For inspiration, he dragged a kitchen chair and wooden TV tray into Elle's bedroom, dumped the attaché full of files onto her bed, and spread them in an evenly spaced line. Six decades-old murders, all meticulously investigated and solved by an 18-year-old amateur. If the Philadelphia PD was going to take Cassie's work seriously, the cases needed to be compiled into traditional police reports. Stark black and white. Plain type text with addenda for the evidence. Irrefutable logic. It was his last professional hurrah and the least he could do to atone for Aaron's unresolved case. Cassie's consolation prize, as she'd so astutely called it. He plugged in his faithful percolator and tore up two hunks of Italian bread in case the crow decided to make an appearance. The coffee in his laptop went on the tray. The crumbs sat on the sill. He was ready. He grabbed a random folder. Henry's. How fitting. The first case he and Cassie had discussed. The baby-faced undercover agent had been set up and ambushed by someone within his department. 
Brennan knew how the poor schmuck felt. He flipped the folder open to the photo of a bullet-ridden Henry draped over a Plymouth. Starting off with a bang, he flinched. Another bad pun. Tom would approve. He worked through the night, stopping only to refill his mug and take a whiz. In the early hours of the morning, as he was typing the final details of case number six, he succumbed to fatigue. He awoke, curled around the folders on L's twin bed, with no memory of how he'd gotten there. The crow had disappointed him, or so he thought. When he got up and stretched his legs, the bread was gone. A shiny treasure sat in its place. The frozen window refused to budge. He pushed and pounded on the upper sash with the heels of his hands until the frame gave, cracking open barely enough for him to pinch the small brass disc between two fingers. A Philadelphia Transportation Company token. Old. For over 175 years, the token had been legal tender on the city's network of trains, buses, and trolleys. One of these babies could take you to Jersey, the Burbs, and beyond. When the city finally relinquished the antiquated token system in favor of electronic ticketing in 2016, Brennan mourned. He turned the heavy coin over in his palm and admired the embossed art. It was a relic now, a gentle reminder from simpler days that life does indeed exist outside the Philadelphia city limits. He squeezed it in his fist. The crow had gifted him an omen, a good one for a change. He shoved it in his pocket for luck, burying it deep within the fabric next to El's pin. A shower, shave, and a hearty breakfast of eggs and enough toast to sop up all that coffee restored a sense of normalcy to his morning routine. The dark circles and bags under his eyes hinted at his long night, but he drew the line at makeup. Not that he had any. Aftershave would have to do. At least he'd smell perky. The sun's first beams crested the Delaware River as he drove to the precinct. The captain always made an appearance at the office on Saturday mornings between nine and ten. Whether it was just that, an appearance, versus actual work, he had no idea. He didn't care either way, as long as she was there. He stopped at security first. Frank, a long-since-retired mentor, watched the cameras most every Saturday, a tedious part-time job that got him away from his equally tedious wife. Brandon texted him from outside the door. Can you let me in? I forgot my badge. The door popped open before he'd hit send. Frank, the corners of his eyes creased with age and amusement, hiked himself out of his chair. You know I can see you, right? He hitched his thumb at the array of monitors covering half the wall. I was counting on it. Brandon deleted his text. How's life? Yeah. Frank fluttered his hands in true Italian fashion. Getting old sucks, but it's better than the alternative. He plopped in the rolling chair and winced. Even with a bum hip, Doc says it needs replacing, but then who'd watch over you guys for me? His deep belly laugh filled the drab room with warmth. Brandon smiled. It wouldn't be the same without you, Frank. Have a seat. The old man patted the chair next to his own. I know why you're here. Brennan flushed. You heard. I may work part-time, but I get full-time gossip. The footage from yesterday is gone, copied in a race before they carted poor Jim out the door. The guy who worked yesterday said he had a steady stream of visitors. Internal Affairs, the Troopers, Captain Mattern. Everyone was asking for it. Internal Affairs got here first. They got the goods. The rest of them got nothing. Brennan stared at the flickering screens. I figured as much. I guess I was hoping. 
that maybe he'd blabbed about what he saw to old Frank. Frank leaned forward in his chair. You bet your sweet ass he did. He was able to trace Jim from the time he arrived at the precinct until the cameras went wonky in the basement. Been trying for years to get them to upgrade the wiring down there. Anyhow, Jim had two large escorts and three-piece suits. Let them in with his badge. Under duress. I assume those same guys looking a little less put together walked out 20 minutes later without Jim. Did he? Brennan shifted in the uncomfortable seat. Did he say anything about me? He did. You were already in the basement when they arrived. You were still in the basement when they left. Came up, went back down later, found Jim. The corners of Frank's eyes crinkled and his mouth curved into a kind smile. You're gonna be all right, kid. How do you know that? I'm not a kid anymore, Frank. I know, and I'm not as old and senile as I seem. Brandon navigated the maze of tunnels and corridors connecting the precinct's separate buildings until he reached the office shortly after nine. He loitered in the entry. The communal space was always bustling, but since Brandon was a senior detective who rarely worked weekends, most of its current occupants were unfamiliar. Except for the captain. He appreciated her dedication to routine. Hunched over a stack of papers and pen in hand, she appeared oblivious to his approach. He strode across the room, rapped on the glass with his knuckles, and walked right in. Her head jerked. Her surprised expression quickly turned to a scowl. She glanced through the glass and back at him. I thought I told you to stay away. Don't worry, I'll be brief, in and out like a ninja. He dropped the stack of six folders on her desk. These murder cases have been on ice for 80 years. Cassie McConnell changed that. I respect and concur with her assessments. Included our official requests to reopen the cases and the detailed evidence and methodology used to identify the correct perp. She set her pen on her desk. Excuse me? Open one. You'll see. Henry's file was on top. She flipped the cover and spent a moment browsing his report. Some of the department's best minds have worked on these cases over the years, including my mentor. You expect me to believe a mentally ill child with a silver spoon in her mouth solved them from the comfort of her cushy bedroom? First of all, Cassie's an adult, not a child. Secondly, she has a unique set of skills. And lastly, I told you I validated them myself. They're solved, period. What kind of skills? She's a super recognizer. I told you that before. The FBI uses people like her to pick suspects out of a crowd after a riot. I know what a super recognizer is and how they're used, detective. I also know that less than 2% of the world's population possesses that skill. Yeah? Good for you. Aren't you smart? She also talks to dead people. Well, photos of dead people, to be exact. What the hell? May as well burn all the bridges on his way out the door. She blinked. Dead people. She talks to dead people. Because, I mean, why not? Of course she does. By dead people, you do mean ghosts, yes? Sure. Detective? He held up his hand and pulled an additional sheet of paper from the attaché. This is my resignation, effective immediately. Bust Ryan McConnell and give these cases the attention they deserve and you'll never hear from me again. And while I can't speak for Pete, rumor has it he's planning to resign and relocate in the immediate future. The captain massaged her forehead. That would be a great loss for the department. You wanted everything wrapped up. Here's your nice little bow. He thrust the resignation letter into her hands. Are we good? You didn't put anything in these reports about ghosts, did you? 
Of course not. Then we're good, she stood. It's been a pleasure. Save it. Save it for the cameras. Chapter 35 November 13th Seventh Journal Entry Ruth was furious with me. I'd never seen her act like that before. With Paul, maybe, but never with me. She paced the room, her bustle swishing a miasma of ghostly vapors in her wake. My crime? I brought a foreigner into the photo room. L, I could understand if you wanted to hang a picture of your mother. She belongs here. But a child, Cassandra? His child? How dare you? I've told you before. This room is our temple. My home. It's Pap's house, not yours. The pacing abruptly stopped. The vapors swelled into a dense fog that rose from the tips of her white slippered toes to the veil on her head. The silence was crushing. My defiance brought consequences. The lights dimmed, ice crystals formed on the wallpaper, the windows, the pianos, ebony keys. Her pale lips didn't move, yet her voice hammered inside my skull and from behind the walls as it had the first time I heard her speak six years ago, almost to the day. You will not speak of him in this room. In fact, you'll speak of no man within this room. Not your pap, nor your detective friend, no man. Is that clear? You can't tell me what to do. You're supposed to be my friend, Ruth, not my mother. I'm not a child anymore. No. The word stretched into a low hiss, like a punctured tire slowly deflating on a cold winter's day. You're not a child anymore, are you, Cassandra? She stepped backward into the wall, disappearing into a faded, creased photo next to her unlucky groom. Pity, isn't it? Chapter 36 Brennan stood shivering outside the library's revolving glass door and wondered where the time had gone. How long had it been since he returned Hell's last overdue book? A week? Two? He'd sworn after that he wouldn't set foot in the library again, but damn it was cold out here. If Cassie didn't get here soon. He glanced at his phone. She was late. An orange ribbon, likely torn from a harvest wreath, fluttered down the street. He sighed. November had passed in a blur. He knew returning to work after Elle's death would be a challenge. He never expected it to result in his unemployment. She rounded the corner and waved, an apologetic smile on her face. So sorry, I overslept. I didn't feel great after last night's seizure, and then Ruth was chatty. She gets like that sometimes. She paused. She doesn't like you, you know. Brennan's stomach tightened as he imagined Elle's picture, all joy and smiles hanging next to Ruth's gloomy black and white photo. He quickly changed the subject. Do you think your pap is up for this today? How's he doing? His hip is doing great. His breathing... 
Not so much, but it doesn't matter. We have to tell him today before something shows up in the papers. He reads it every day, as you might expect. My father was already gone when I got up this morning, so you don't have to worry about his stupid restraining order. She fiddled with her wool beret. I want to apologize for last night. For what? For my... attitude, I guess you'd call it? My personality changes after my seizures. Thank God it's temporary. You have no reason to apologize for a medical condition you can't control. That's not what my father says. You of all people should know better. They walked at a brisk pace, driven by the cold, stiff breeze. Brennan blew on his hands. The first two weeks of the month had been chilly, the coldest November in recent memory. Or maybe it was his mood. I quit my job this morning. Cassie stopped abruptly. The man behind her swerved to avoid contact and glowered at her as he passed. Why? It's complicated, but I turned in your cold cases first. My boss, or Captain Mattern, assured me she'll see them through. That's why you needed them last night. Yes. They lapsed into silence. Pavement yielded to cobblestone and they slowed their pace. Cassie, her expression pensive, pulled a keychain from her pocket and paused on the front steps. Did you quit because of my mom's case? Because of us? Partly. As I said, it's complicated. I'm not sure I understand it myself. I just knew it was time. Time for a change. Time to try something new. Cassie turned the key, stepping over the threshold, and stopped. Do you smell something? She tilted her head and sniffed. Brennan followed suit, puzzled by the strange but vaguely familiar acrid scent. His mother had been an x-ray technician back in the days when they still used film and chemical developers. The foyer smelled like a darkroom, heavy with chemicals, must, and smoke. Wait outside. He ran to the library, but the fireplace was cold. A gray cloud wafted down the multi-level staircase. Cassie had already rounded the first story landing. Pap! Brennan hurtled the stairs two at a time. I thought I asked you to wait outside. It's my house. She reached the bedroom at the top of the third flight of stairs and pounded on the door. Pap! The door flew open. The bedroom was empty. Brennan, panting, arrived by her side. Thin tendrils of smoke floated near the ceiling. They twirled and twined down the hallway, dimming the overhead lights and beckoning their audience to the photo room. Cassie stared at the door. It's unlocked. I thought you had the only key. I do, but I leave it in the jewelry box in my bedroom when I'm not home. Pat must have taken it. They exchanged worried looks and walked the long hallway together. Brandon pressed his palm against the door. It doesn't feel hot. Step back just in case. He cracked the door open an inch, expecting a surge of black smoke. Nothing. Mr. Dolan, are you in there? He peered around the corner and stepped inside. The normally frigid room was warm and toasty. A thick, sooty haze hung near the ten-foot-high ceiling, but nothing was ablaze. Dolan was nowhere to be found. Brennan crossed the parquet floor toward the fireplace, but Cassie called him back, her voice tight and strange. Detective Brennan. Eyes wide, she stood in front of where the vintage photos should be. The wall was bare. Faint, dark smudges, 80 years of accumulated dust and grime outlined their previous positions. Only tiny bits of yellowed tape remained. Brennan brushed his fingers over the empty wall. He burned them. The bastard burned them all. He turned to the fireplace where a pile of ash still smoldered. 
Are their voices still here, or did he destroy the connection too? Can you hear them? Cassie mutely shook her head. Not even Ruth? Cassie remained silent. What about my daughter? He stared into the glowing embers. If I bring you another photo of Elle, can you still talk to her? Your ability. Is it you or this room or the photos themselves? I don't know. Her voice quivered. I just don't hear her anymore. It's gotta be you. You talked to her at the cemetery, right? He ran his hands over his head. I didn't actually. I should have asked you to tell her I love her. I love her so much. He paced the smoky room, leaving footprints in the dust. I didn't realize last night would be my only chance. If I had known. Dan. He spun on his head, his agitated brain somehow registering her unexpected use of his given name. What? She knows how much you love her. She stared into his eyes, her gentle voice as soft and soothing as a warm blanket. Trust me, she knows. His breath caught in his throat. Can you try again, please? One more time, please. Cassie closed her eyes and covered them with her palms. Brandon held his breath. She shook her head. Nothing. It's so quiet. It's never been so quiet. She lowered her hands. Maybe they've moved on. His lower lip trembled. Do you think that's what happened to Elle? Do you think she went... He choked on a sob. To heaven? I hope so, Cassie whispered. Her eyes welled with tears. I'm sorry I don't have all the answers. I don't have any answers. He grabbed the poker and foraged through the ashes, flipping charred bits of paper in a desperate search for any remnant of his daughter's smiling face. The embers popped. Sparks drifted and flashed like fireflies in the gray air. A square crop of photopaper, its surface bubbled in black, held a familiar image. An arm clad in a long white sleeve with pearl buttons, a pale hand holding a bouquet. Ruth. He threw the poker against the stone hearth in disgust and conceded defeat. The anguish on Cassie's face matched his own. A steady stream of tears dripped off her cheeks and onto the sooty floor. She sniffled. I want the voices to stop, but not yet. I wasn't done. I was supposed to help them, and Ruth, Ruth was my only friend. She clasped her hand over her mouth and wept. She's not your only friend. He moved to place his hand on her quivering shoulder. A deep, phlegmy cough stopped him in his tracks. He twirled and reached for his gun. Put that thing away. Dolan's walker, overburdened by an oxygen tank and a saddlebag laden with newspapers and inhalers, barely cleared the open door. Wheezing from the smoky air, he leaned heavily on the walker's aluminum arms and pushed its stubborn wheels forward. It creaked with each slow step. She was never your friend, Peach. It was a lie, an 80-year-old plot for revenge. It was Ruth. Ruth murdered your mother. Casey and Brennan stood in stunned silence while Dolan worked his way, inch by painful inch, into the room. His energy spent, he plopped onto the nearest sheet-covered chair. A plume of silver dust, residue from the scorched vintage photos, swirled into the air. The glittery flakes sparkled in the filtered light before settling to the floor. Brennan recovered first. Revenge against who, Mr. Dolan? His eyes challenged Dolan to reveal his murderous past. That's a wild claim from someone who once told me not to believe Cassie's stories. 
Ryan McConnell killed Aaron. You said so yourself. Based on my investigation, I agree. Ryan helped. He drugged her up, thinking it was only a matter of time before she fell on her own. But Ruth gave the final push. Doesn't mean Ryan shouldn't go to jail for it, though. Or worse, someone has to pay for killing my grandbaby. May as well be him. Cassie, still dazed, drifted into the chair nearest her pap. You know Ruth? In life, she was a cold-blooded killer, Peach, and bloodlust never dies. She's tried to kill me more times than I can count. Every night, her icy fingers wrap around my throat, but she's never been strong enough to finish the job. Took her 80 years to learn how to become more than a voice. A few more, and she'd have run of the house. Knocking me down the stairs was the final straw. I had to burn these photos. I learned my lesson the hard way in an Okinawa prison camp. The human spirit can't be jailed, but it can be destroyed. He grasped the chair's arms with fingers as blue as his lips. Their voices haunt me too. We can't both be crazy. But I didn't want you to believe they were real. I'd hoped you'd chuck them up to your seizures and somehow move on as I did. I've always known they were real, but now I don't know if anything they said was true. Cassie's lower lip trembled. She lied to me. Why would she do that? Ruth aimed to take everything from me. She almost did. Vengeance festers with time. He reached between his walker's rails to clasp Cassie's hand. Locking the photo room wasn't enough. I know that now. But I never thought she'd use you the way she did, and I didn't realize how much stronger she'd become until she killed my Aaron. I should have burned those goddamned photos long ago. Nothing good comes from reliving the past. But I couldn't bring myself to sever that link. Brennan scowled. Because bloodlust never dies. Those photos were your trophies. Tell her the truth, Dolan, the whole truth, not just the convenient parts. He crossed the room to hover beside the old man. Dolan ignored him. He released Cassie's hand. One day I forgot to set the lock, and the rest is history. By that time it was too late. His gruff demeanor melted away, and his shoulders, shrouded in an oversized brown cardigan, sagged. Everything that's happened since, your seizures, your mother's death, is my fault. Forgive me, Peach. Cassie uttered a strangled sob, shuddered, and slowly rocked in her chair. Inner turmoil as movement, pain as energy, agitation as rhythm. Brennan warily eyed her anguished face, watching for telltale signs of an oncoming seizure. Her rocking accelerated. Brennan inched closer to her chair. But something good did happen. She's cracked decades-old cold cases I never would have been able to solve myself. And soon those cases will be reopened and officially resolved. Dolan shrugged. So what? The murderers are dead now. Their crimes long forgotten. Not all of them. Brennan's jaw tightened and he locked eyes with Dolan. Cassie jumped to her feet. Their families haven't forgotten. Their victims haven't either. They have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren like myself. They want closure. They asked me to help them find peace, and look what you've done. She swept her arm toward the fireplace. The roar of an engine shook the windows, then abruptly disappeared. 
The front door creaked and slammed. Cassie scowled. Great, father's home early. Fine and dandy. Dolan leaned back in the chair. Go get your daddy, Peach. Tell him I want to talk about Aaron's inheritance money. That should get his ass moving in a hurry. Cassie bit her bottom lip. What are you going to do? The old man removed the saddlebag from his walker and placed it in his lap. We're gonna sit and talk a while. Talk like the dirty old men we are. Father's not old. But he's sure as hell dirty. Go on now. Detective Brennan will keep me company until you come back, won't you, Detective? Brennan's eyes narrowed. You can count on it, sir. Chapter 37 The sound of Cassie's footsteps faded down the stairs, replaced by the distant murmur of voices from the foyer below. Dolan pulled a photo from the saddlebag's outer pocket and laid it on the end table for Brennan to see. Three generations of Dolans, Cassie, Aaron Leland, and a woman Brennan assumed was Leland's wife, smiled at him through the unknown photographer's lens. Brennan studied the old man's craggy face, searching for hints to his game. The one shrewd and ruthless businessman didn't seem the type to put much stock in the supernatural world of voices from beyond the grave and murderous apparitions. Yet here they were with Dolan claiming a ghost murdered his granddaughter and Brennan debating if the old man was senile, criminally insane, or diabolically clever. The faint smile on Dolan's face hinted at silent machinations beyond the capacity of a senile brain. As far as insanity, 80 years of staring at photos of dead people may have succeeded in doing what a brutal world war could not, breaking Dolan's mind. Brennan didn't think so which meant the old man was diabolically clever. I know what you're thinking. Dolan's eyes were shut, but despite the faint curve to his pale blue lips, he looked far from relaxed. Oxygen hissed from the tube in his nose. His chest expanded like a barrel with each labored breath. All that effort just to breathe. Dolan was worth a fortune. Such a shame money can't buy breath. Brennan shook his head. I doubt it. Or should I add telepathy to your long list of talents? I mean, really, what kind of psychopath blames a ghost disdain an 18-year-old's good graces? You're feeding into her delusions. Dolan laughed, an unpleasant, phlegmy sound somewhere between a cough and a seal's bark. Respect, boy. I'm not your average criminal. War-sanctioned, meddled, vetted, if you'll pardon the lousy pun. He chuckled, pausing to catch his breath afterward. You wanted my deathbed confession. Here it is. Every one of those four people, Ruth especially, got what they deserved. If you could have seen what she did to those men, you'd pin me another medal. Each one was worse than the last. She's the monster, not me. I could have drunk myself into oblivion like most of my pals. Instead, I channeled my pain for the public good. Since then, I've paid for my crimes in ways you can't even imagine. I don't have to imagine. I saw Aaron lying in a pool of blood on the steps. I saw her again lying on a slab in the morgue. I've seen Cassie foam at the mouth while she seizes. Was your vigilante justice worth it? The old man's lids flew open. The furious glint in his eyes gave Brennan pause, and he stepped out of reach. The war-ravaged vet was old and feeble now, but he was still the legendary Leland Dolan. The angry spark flickered, then disappeared. 
Anguish took its place, the depths of which made Brennan regret his harsh words. Almost. Not really. Dolan inhaled a wheezy, whistling breath. I have a final mission, detective, and that's to make damn sure Cassie gets the life she deserves. She's a good girl, my peach. Smart, level-headed, a fine judge of character. This curse of ours is not her fault. I see a lot of me and her, the good parts before the war destroyed whoever I was meant to be. Ryan thinks he's getting heir and share of the Dolan family fortune. But since she preceded me in death, to use the legal term, her money returns to the Dolan Trust, and I've willed everything to Cassie. Sure as I'm sitting here, he'll kill her for it once I'm gone. He'd do it now, but he knows better. He'd kill his own daughter? Brennan's words rang hollow even to himself. Of course he would. You've seen worse, I'm sure. What could be worse than a father killing his only child? Brennan swore he heard El giggle. He swiveled his head, staring first at the fireplace, then at the wall where the photos once hung. His daughter's smiling face, her cheeks rosy and flushed with life, floated before him. He raised his arm and the specter grew wan and gray before fading into the soot-filled air. A cinder popped, releasing a flurry of sparks and ash. He dropped his arm and paced between the hearth and the piano. I can't help you if that's what you're about to ask. The floorboards groaned his distress. I can't prove Ryan killed Aaron. For one thing, I'm no longer a cop. Secondly, I don't have enough evidence to even prove she was murdered by a ghost, human or otherwise. As far as the law is concerned, Aaron was under the influence and fell down the steps. End of story. I know. Dolan acknowledged the detective's dilemma with a barely perceptible nod. Help Cassie instead. She likes and respects you. Watch over her when I'm gone. It makes me feel better to know she won't be alone. The elevator dinged and heavy steps approached from the hall. Dolan's anguished expression melted into an inscrutable mask. He relaxed his hands into his pockets, but his eyes remained hyper-alert, focused, like a soldier ready for battle. Brennan's stomach tightened, and he shifted his position toward the empty photo wall, where the padlock still rested against the expensive baseboard molding. No way would he allow anyone between him and the door. Ryan McConnell strode into the room. He grimaced at the vinegary odor, and Brennan... For the love of God, Leland, what were you thinking? You know how volatile old photos can be, not to mention that the flu in this room probably hasn't been cleaned in 50 years. And your oxygen tank, you could have set yourself on fire and burned the place to the ground. Cassie, her face drawn and tight, lingered in the doorway. Have a seat, Ryan. Dolan nodded to the chair an arm's length away, angled like his to face the fire. McConnell eyed Brennan. He's not supposed to be here. Dolan scowled. It's my house. I can invite and evict anyone I please. I asked Detective Brennan here to be my witness. Brennan flashed a sunny smile. The doctor's jaw tightened. He turned to Dolan. Cassie said you wanted to talk about Aaron's inheritance. I'd consider that a family affair, wouldn't you? He aimed a pointed look at Brennan and cocked his head toward the door. Brennan held his position. Witness, bodyguard, take your pick. I'm staying. Sit down, Ryan. Dolan's voice thundered in the sparsely furnished room. Ryan yanked off the chair's filthy white sheet. 
The resulting cloud of dust triggered Dolan's cough, and the old man hacked until he turned red in the face. Be a dear, will you, Peach? He wheezed. And bring me a cup of hot tea with a wee shot of whiskey. Use the good stuff. It's a special day. Cassie hesitated. Her gaze flitted from her father's tense expression to Dolan's placid one. Her pap's cough returned and her forehead furrowed with worry. Okay, I'll be right back. She hurried from the room. The grandfather clock told the hour, masking her footsteps. Downstairs, a cabinet slammed and china rattled. Dolan pulled an inhaler and an ornately embroidered handkerchief from the saddlebag in his lap. He took two deep inhalations of the medication and wiped his mouth. His breathing slowed. There now, just us men. And you too, Ryan. His eyes twinkled with devilish amusement. Brennan stifled a grin. The color rose in McConnell's cheeks. Listen, you crazy old bastard. Aaron's gone, and she was the only thing standing between you and a nursing home. We'd been considering it since you had your stroke. You'd been considering it. Aaron told me what you wanted to do. A nursing home is not a prison. You can't involuntarily commit someone. Isn't that right, Detective Brennan? I'm the doctor here, McConnell crossed his arms. And you absolutely can if the person is deemed mentally incompetent. You're crazy, Cassie's crazy. I've made sure my colleagues and confidants have heard every sad detail. It won't be hard to convince the right people to sign the paperwork. He leaned forward and lowered his voice. It's been nothing but ghost stories and pseudo-seizures around here for the last six years. No more. I don't need to play nice anymore. Dolan stuffed his handkerchief back in the saddlebag and smiled. Neither do I. The blast rattled the stained glass windows. Red splinters of light ricocheted around the room like laser beams. Brennan ducked against the wall, shielded his face with one forearm, and pulled out his gun. Bits of fallen plaster peppered his head and neck. Swirling dust and grit blinded him and choked his breath. Eyes watering, he coughed and blinked until the room swam back into view. Ryan McConnell, hands pressed over a gaping hole in his liver area, spent his last few seconds trying to run. He never made it out of the chair. He rolled over the armrest, tipping the vintage chair onto its side, its curvy legs splintering and splaying skyward. Dark blood seeped into the parquet floor's scratches and seams, producing a geometric pattern that grew with alarming speed. Tattered ribbons of fabric, the remnants of Dolan's saddlebag dangled from the walker. Dolan held the gun at eye level, rotating it so Brennan could see. Colt 1911, standard issue. I was supposed to turn it in after the war, but I didn't. It's been my most loyal companion. It's a heavy bugger now that I'm old. His hand trembled. Too old. Brennan slowly rose to his feet. He stretched out his hand. Put it down, Dolan. Cassie's coming. She doesn't need to see this. He inched toward the exit. The old man nodded. Shut the door behind you. Make sure the newspapers get it right. Tell them everything they need to know. He raised the gun to his temple. And nothing they don't. Chapter 38 The second blast deafened Brennan's ears and painted Dolan's sheet-covered chair a stomach-churning blend of red and gray. Brennan's mind reeled. Leland Dolan, photo thief, 
escape artist, war hero, media mogul, and serial killing bastard, was dead. Cassie's screams pierced his muffled hearing. A glass shattered in the kitchen. The teapot whistled. Her footsteps pounded on the stairs. Brennan staggered from the room, slamming the door behind him. Cassie rounded the landing and caught her toe on the top step. She stumbled, recovered, and sprinted down the hall in a dead run. He caught her around the waist before she could reach the door. Don't go in there. What happened? Oh my God, oh my God. She hyperventilated, gasping for air and staring wild-eyed over his shoulder at the door. Her breathing suddenly slowed. I know. Behind him, something clicked. He raised his hands and slowly turned to stand by Cassie, partially shielding her body with his own. Nothing. The door remained shut. The air grew frigid. He shivered. Cassie exhaled a long, frosty breath. I know. Her pupils dilated. He grabbed her by the shoulders. No, not now. Cassie, look at me. She seemed to stare straight through him, through the thick wooden door as well, into the photo room and beyond. Her blank expression changed in slow motion. Her eyes widened in horror. Her mouth formed a silent O. She stretched out both hands, fingers writhing as if desperately trying to grasp something just beyond her reach. A faint noise like that of a swing creaking on a pair of rusty metal chains echoed from within the photo room. He gasped. Dolan? There was zero chance the old man survived, even if he was the legendary Leland Dolan. Not a gunshot to the head. No way. Cassie moaned. He stepped between her and the door and pounded it with his fist. Dolan. Nothing. Ruth, is that you? Let her go, you bitch. Let her go. He rattled the brass knob. The heavy wooden door wouldn't budge. The photo room was locked from the inside. A jolt of searing pain stung his hand. He swore and yanked it away. The faint blush of a first-degree burn reddened his palm. He massaged it with his thumb. Ruth, you open this goddamn door right now. Jesus Christ, what was he saying? What if she did? What was he gonna do? He had no idea. Cassie brushed by his elbow and placed her palms flat against the door. She leaned her forehead against the polished wood and closed her eyes. A single tear trickled down her pale cheek. It's not Ruth. It's Pap. He just wanted to say goodbye. Chapter 39 Like his granddaughter, Leland Dolan was buried on a clear, sunny day, marred by the brutal cold. Unlike Aaron's, the funeral was a private affair, lacking an audience and spectacle. Cassie decreed it. Brennan commended her choice. Dolan would have hated the morbid gawkers, the crowd of faux mourners, the ex-business partners expressing sympathy while snickering under their breath. His purple heart rested with him in his coffin, along with a snippet of Cassie's red hair and a handful of photos. Brennan shivered and pulled his jacket tighter around his neck. The past two weeks had been stressful on multiple fronts. The murder-suicide brought unwanted attention to the McConnell family, prompting the police to rush their operations timeline. The organized crime unit swooped in and busted the Irish mob in a well-coordinated sting. Beck and his cronies landed in jail, 
until they posted millions in bail, and the city enjoyed a media circus unlike any they'd seen in years. Chief Mattern made her rounds on the local news channels, accepting the praise the commissioner lavished upon her with gracious aplomb and offering the frenzied city a calm, steady hand. She'd already offered Brennan his job back. He had already refused. Somewhere Leland Dolan, the old newsman, was chortling with glee. The priest gave his final blessing and sprinkled the casket with holy water. Brennan inched closer to Cassie, offering his silent support during the brief service. Despite losing both parents and her beloved pap over such a short time, she didn't seem to need it. Throughout the whirlwind of drama, Cassie remained serene. Reporters choked the cobblestone streets around Dolan Mansion, feasting off the poor little rich girl story like hyenas stripping a gazelle. With her seizures in remission for the first time in years, she stepped into the spotlight and played the media like a pro. Brennan wasn't surprised. She'd learned from the best. Medium mogul Leland Dolan. Yesterday, she dumped Ryan's ashes on the ground under her mother's treasured white rose bush, the one in the center of the maze. Fertilizer, she explained, without a touch of irony. Again, Brennan approved. He'd met a lot of victims in his career. Cassie was not one of them. She had too much of her pep in her. She was going to be okay. Someday, he'd have to tell her that her pap was a serial killer on par with Ruth, but that day could wait. Besides, he suspected that somewhere in the back of her hyper-observant mind, she already knew. I'm thinking of selling the house, she said from the backseat of the limo as the cemetery faded from sight. Makes sense. It's a lot of space for one person. A lot of memories, too, good and bad. He'd only seen the bad, but there had to have been some good ones somewhere along the line. It's been in the Dolan family for four generations. I'd hate to see it demolished and something ugly put in its place. The limo passed a razor-wired parking lot, and she pointed. Like that? I doubt that would happen. Not in your neighborhood. But don't rush into anything. There's no hurry to decide. It's been a hell of a month. Take some time to regroup. They turned a corner, and the scenery changed to the brick row houses and Tony mansions of Society Hill. She smiled. On the other hand, I'm thinking of starting my own business, and the mansion would make an impressive office. Entrepreneurship runs in the Dolan family, you know. She cast him a sideways look. I might need a partner. Got any plans? I'm working on it. Her smile widened. That means no. It means I'm working on it. He flashed a lopsided grin. What kind of business? She laughed until the black tweed cap bounced on her head. I knew you couldn't resist. Stay tuned, I'm still hammering out the details. The wide asphalt street changed to the narrow cobblestone alleys of Society Hill. The limo glided to a stop two blocks from the mansion and put on its flashers. The driver opened Cassie's door. Brennan peered through the windshield at the dozens of cars illegally parked along the narrow road. Looks like the vultures are still circling. Do you want me to run interference and clear a path to the front door for you? No, I'll be fine. I've been sneaking in through the back gate. The neighbors are highly protective of the alley. They've been keeping it reporter-free, more for themselves than for me, but whatever works. An awkward silence ensued. Brennan cleared his throat. You know how to reach me. The holidays are coming up fast. It's a tough time of year for someone to be alone. Trust me, I know. Text me if you need anything or if you want to go out for ice cream. Cassie burst into laughter.
he grinned. Sorry, but at your age, you could be my daughter. I could be your daughter. I think I'd like that. She reached under the limo's cushy seat and withdrew an envelope. She handed it to Brennan. Before I go, I thought you might like to see this. It came in the mail yesterday. The 9 by 12 inch manila envelope lacked return address. The postmark was smudged beyond legibility. He turned it over in his hands. Thick, high-quality paper, no watermark. What's inside? Open it and see. The top of the envelope had been slit by a letter opener, or a very sharp knife. Cassie's demeanor changed from relaxed to sober. A sudden sense of trepidation raised the hair on his arms. He slipped his fingers inside the envelope and extracted a single item, a black-and-white photo. It was old, like the ones in the photo room, but not quite as old. A woman in a bell-bottom jumpsuit stood next to a skinny young man in uniform. Their smiles appeared forced, their eyes sad. A battleship loomed in the background. He flipped the photo over. The ink was faded and smudged, but he could discern a faint date and two words. 1968, New Jersey. Who are they? Cassie shrugged and lightly stroked the photo's crinkled surface. She wouldn't say. Epilogue December 27th, 8th Journal Entry A single black-and-white photo can damage a woman's mind if the image is powerful enough. I now know to be careful. Experience is a powerful ally, pain a costly deterrent. I never want to experience that degree of pain again. I can't resist. I tack her picture in the middle of the photo room's empty wall and wait. The cleaners have come and gone. The stained furniture has long been removed. The air still smells of soot and blood. At first, I blame the mansion's poor ventilation. The reality, it's the parquet floor. All those gaps and grooves clinging to molecules of memory. When the waiting drags on too long, I sit at the piano and play the songs Ruth taught me. Claire de Lune, Moonlight Sonata. That nameless Russian dirge in D minor that always makes me cry. The tears don't help, and my playing gets sloppier and more discordant. But it doesn't matter. The lead glass windows and a thick layer of snow on the slate roof cocoons the sound. No one outside these walls hears what I hear. I'm the music box in my own little snow globe. After the silver glitter settles and the final notes sink to the floor, I sit. I wait. I listen. And I am rewarded. Talk about ending with a bang. So what do you think? Did Cassie really talk to Elle? Or did Brennan's grief-addled mind trick him into believing what he wanted to hear? In other words, do you believe in ghosts? 
I hope you enjoyed this unputdownable story just as much as I did. You can find J.L. Delosier on her website, www.jldelosier.com, on Instagram at jldelosier, and on Facebook at jldelosiermd. Want to know more about the story or about the author, J.L. Delosier? She has lots more to share about this book, so make sure you come back for our interview episode coming soon. So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen to The Photo Thief now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. Tune in to hear all our audiobooks as we release them right here on CamCat Unwrapped, a serialized podcast. The first two episodes of every book can always be found here, but subsequent episodes will be available for free listening only for a short time after their release. After that, they'll be gone. But don't worry, the audiobooks are available for purchase on Audible and other major retailers. CamCat Unwrapped also offers other CamCat books as podcasts. Also, check out our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books, including interviews with the authors, editors, and other industry professionals. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped, because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet. You have been listening to The Photo Thief by J.L. Delosier, narrated by Jeffrey Kafer and Rachel L. Jacobs. This program was produced by CamCat Publishing, copyright 2022 by J.L. Delosier, production copyright 2022 by CamCat Publishing, all rights reserved. For more information on all our books, visit www.camcatpublishing.com. If you liked what you just heard, please consider leaving us a review. Thank you for listening.